from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. It's critical for livestock this time of year. Taking a test on the farm. Tennessee cattle producers learn the nutritional content of their winter hay supply. That story from Rutherford County, Tennessee, coming up on Ag Day. John Deere looks to space to help get farmers better connected for the new wave of ag technology. As cold and cattle processing present ongoing challenges. Yes, it's to get the cattle there, but it's also to get the workers there to, to, to make the processing happen. The latest as things start to thaw out right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when experience meets expertise. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Dangerous wind chills and record-setting cold temperatures continue to impact farm country. It's estimated about 300 low temperature records were broken over the past few days between the cold, rain, and snow. A line of snow over the weekend that started in the west eventually covering things from Dallas to New York with severe wind chill alerts stretching border to border. Now in the south, the rare snow event causing all kinds of travel issues with officials in Tennessee telling folks to stay off the roads. Snow mixed with sleet and ice causing potentially deadly conditions further south in states like Louisiana and Arkansas, while heavy snow made roads nearly impassable for portions of Iowa. And the extreme cold and snow continuing to impact the cattle and hog markets. Ag Day's Michelle Rook is continuing to follow this. So Michelle, what impact is this having on production and processing? And the blast of winter weather has slowed processing activities at meatpacking plants and backed up especially hog marketings. Plus the heavy snow and extremely cold temperatures have stressed cattle with lasting effects on health and weights. Cattle producers are digging up from one winter storm and already preparing for the next. Cattle are seeing some impact on performance and producers say longer term it will show up in weight and grading losses with more of the same weather in the extended forecast. Cattle that are near finished weight say they weigh 14, 1500 pounds and they're outside, even in a good outside facility. I would guess that they probably weighed up, lost upwards to 75 and maybe in some cases 100 pounds. Plus, there have been marketing disruptions. I would say the major impact is when you look at logistics. Many auction markets were, were closed the latter part of last week. We've heard some closures at the beginning of this week. And cattle slaughter was only 546,000 head last week and 112,000 on Monday. The ability to have workers uh, be at the plants, which has been the, the, really the major impacts when we think about you know lighter slaughter runs, Yes, it's to get the cattle there, but it's also to get the workers there to, to, to make the processing happen. While the weather may be positive longer term for cattle weights, it's bearish for hog weights as numbers get backed up. Monday's slaughter was 399,000 head and last week at only 2.174 million. That's down nearly 200,000 from the previous week and 318,000 from last year. So when you lose slaughter like that in a, in a market that already you weren't very current at all, weights uh, way over a year ago, difficulty getting hogs scheduled for slaughter. Uh, and now it just got worse because we got them backed up a little bit more because of the weather we couldn't get them uh, to the plants. Plus some pork plants limited operations when USDA inspectors could not make it to work. Nebraska Congressman Mike Flood sent a letter to U.S. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack after receiving reports USDA inspectors failed to show up Monday at Tyson's Pork Production Plant in Madison. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day.
But there is some good news from the extreme cold. Things are starting to warm up a bit. Meteorologist Martin Lorimore joins us with an update. Yeah, things are warming up just a little bit over the next couple of days. We're still pretty chilly, especially across the northern third of the nation, especially where we're still seeing a lot of these effects. Temperatures alone sitting below freezing, though actually depending on the wind chill, it's even cooler. Now, of course, like we've been talking about, we are expecting these temperatures to get a little bit warmer, but we're going to be watching for one more very chilly night tonight. We could see a little bit of those temperatures reaching below zero. Got place up to Chicago around 10 degrees. New York City still under freezing. Denver sitting at five degrees, even all the way down into almost the, the southern Appalachians and central southern plains could see those temperatures overnight reaching into those teens. But hey, we're starting to see those temperatures getting a little bit better as we head throughout the rest of our week. We are watching for we seeing a little more precipitation in the next little bit, but we're still seeing a lot of those temperatures still pretty chilly out there. Now, this is over at Northeast Iowa. This was sent in by Spencer Weiser and all that snow has really piled up. Spencer Weiser, he farms in that area. He says to check out these drips. He says some of the drips in this area were eight feet tall. That is some snow drips and halves. He says they're covering everything from fans to curtains and bulk tanks. Good luck, Spencer. It's a lot of snow for all of us. Now the record cold weather couldn't freeze the enthusiasm Iowa Republicans have for former President Donald Trump. Mr. Trump topping 50% of the vote in the Iowa caucus, cementing his position as front runner in the Republican race for president. But the margin between second and third place was tight. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis outpacing former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley by a slim margin. New Hampshire first primary is next Tuesday, a week from now. Um, New Hampshire is different than Iowa. They have more independents, they're less homogenous. Uh, you could, I think they'll have more crossovers. I think some more Democrats may come over to vote uh, for a Republican. But it's going to be Nikki Haley's probably only uh, chance remaining to make this a two-person race. She either has to win it or come very close to Trump, who's currently ahead in the polls, I think, by five to six percentage points in New Hampshire. Tech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy finished a distant fourth in Iowa and suspended his campaign, throwing his support behind former President Trump. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson also followed suit, suspending his campaign. A U.S. official says the U.S. launched another strike against Yemen-based Houthis. The strike hitting anti-ship missiles and marks the third recent assault on the Iranian-backed group. Tuesday's strike came as the Iranian-backed Houthis claimed responsibility for a missile attack against a Malta-flagged bulk carrier in the Red Sea. Now, no one was injured. The Greek Shipping and Island Policy Ministry says the vessel had been heading north to the Suez Canal when it was attacked. The Houthis say they fired after the ship's crew refused to answer warning calls. It also reported U.S. Navy SEALs seized Iranian-made missile parts and other weaponry from a ship bound for Yemen's Houthi rebels in a raid last week. And as the crisis in the Red Sea grows, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is meeting with leaders at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Blinken participating in the Treating Soil as a Precious Resource panel discussion, citing Russian attacks on farm fields in Ukraine, disrupting global markets as well as Houthi attacks on container ships in the Red Sea. Blinken saying that healthy soil is a national security issue. When you think about soil, uh, the U.S. Secretary of State is probably not the first person who comes to mind. <laughs> but the truth is, soil is literally at the root of many 
pressing national security challenges that we face. You all know this, and we know this increasingly with every passing day. Without good soil, crops fail, prices rise, people go hungry. Blinken also saying he has met with UN staff in Jordan who are working to get food to Palestinians in Gaza who are facing acute food insecurity. A big merger in the grocery industry is facing delays. Kroger and Albertsons announcing that due to ongoing discussions with regulators, they now anticipate closing the deal in the first half of Kroger's fiscal year 2024. Initially, both sides had expected to finalize the transactions earlier in the calendar year. Kroger had put forth the proposal to acquire Albertsons in October, and prior to that, in September, they had entered into an agreement with CNS Wholesale Grocers for the sale of specific stores and assets as part of that merger. Meanwhile, Washington State has sued to block the deal. That state's attorney general arguing the $25 billion merger would harm consumers and raise prices. Now, according to the suit, Kroger and Albertsons have more than 300 locations in the state and account for more than half of its grocery sales. Tuesday's markets still trying to shake off last week's USDA reports. We'll have an update coming up next and later beating the cold and making sure our hay supplies are keeping livestock nutritionally healthy during this winter weather in the country. Bring new technology, knowledge, and opportunity together at Ag Innovation 2024 in Kansas City on February 13th. Register today to take part in the event. John Deere is joining forces with SpaceX. The agreement will provide the Starlink network service to farmers. Now, Deere says the satellite communication system would allow farmers facing rural connectivity challenges to fully leverage precision ag technologies. Now, to activate, John Deere dealers will install a Starlink terminal on compatible machines along with a modem to connect the machines to the John Deere Operations Center. It will be available in the second half of this year. Corn futures continue to slide on Tuesday. Agdays Michelle Rook is back with more in Markets Now. Grains ending mixed on Tuesday. Ted Seifert, Zanarek Hedge joining us. So corn and wheat futures setting back on Tuesday, Ted. You know, was that the outside market influence or still the hangover from the reports? Yeah, I'm going to say yes, Michelle. I think it was a bit of both, really. Okay. Uh, you, you look at wheat. Wheat didn't have a, a, a terribly bad report on Friday. But when the dollar's up, you know, close to a thousand points, that's going to have uh, an effect on the wheat market. It's going to lean on it. And then you got corn, which was an easy follower, right? I mean, it, it, with the report that we had on Friday, not giving us anything bullish in corn. I mean, you had nearly a 10 million metric ton increase in the global corn carryover. Oh my, Michelle, I don't know. any given reason for corn to be under pressure today, and it was going to do it. And so wheat being under, the dollar being higher, corn's going to follow through the downside. Soybeans were able to hold some marginal gains. Ted, why was that? Was it just because we were anticipating a pretty strong crush figure? Uh, soybeans were a little reluctant to really follow through. In fact, soybeans had been higher in the night session and earlier to start the day in anticipation of a record crush, which is what it was, um, with export inspections, which were pretty good, and they revised the previous week higher. So that's that's pretty good. And you've got a farmer agency in Brazil talking about a 135 million metric ton crop compared to where the USDA is at at 157. What a big difference that is. 
but all these things, the market was able to kind of shrug off and yeah. close marginally higher on the day. So we made a new low close for corn, but we did hold Friday's lows after the report, which soybeans did the same. But how long do we hold those lows? Yeah, you know, I, I don't really feel like we're going to hold those lows. I don't really feel like... Um, I think today was the attempt to do that. I think by the end of those week, those this, by the end of this week, those lows might come up, come under fire. We might be looking at, at new lows. Uh, it just doesn't feel good from a price action standpoint, from a fundamental standpoint. You know, we've been talking about uh, problems in Brazil for for months now, and the market just hasn't found any traction with that. And I think unless China comes in and buys aggressively, we're not going to see that happen. Thanks for joining us. It's Everett Zener and Kedge. We'll have more in date coming up. Yeah, we are looking at a little bit of wet and wild weather over the next couple of days. We're seeing that precipitation still lingering across parts of the country. Now, if you're looking actually out toward uh, the west coast, you're looking at most of this being snow on the very edge of the coast, and you'll see actually the snow uh, toward those higher areas like the Cascades and parts of the Sierra Nevadas. You'll be looking at that as well. Most of this coming in across the eastern portion of the nation is going mostly snow. So let's actually transition over to that snowfall I spent as we go throughout the next several days. We could see through Wednesday, there's that band of that snow making its way across the entirety of the northern U.S. We could be seeing more of that starting to make its way in toward parts of the Great Lakes as well and into parts of southern New England and even into parts of New England itself. So we'll be watching as that snow does run through, but there's also the bigger kicker, the wind. It will be a little bit windy in some places, but actually as we watch these wind gusts start calming down as we get into our Thursday. It's around 11 p.m. right here. So as we're watching, we see more of these wind gusts will start picking up and making their way further south. So wind, uh, wind chills could get a little bit dicier out toward the central and southern plains out toward the Mississippi River Valley. Things are going to be pretty chilly out there, but again, watching that pass on by parts that have been parts of the country that have been very frigid will start finally being freed of those terrible wind gusts in combination with those temperatures. So the temperatures themselves will still be a little bit chilly, not as frigid as they have been, but luckily the winds calming down as well as we get into that Sunday of next week. So I want to show you the jet stream as we see this system passing us by as we get into uh, our Wednesday. We're going to be watching this moving its way on, but there's another one starting to load itself up and this is going to be moving into the Great Lakes come late Thursday and Friday. This could provide that snow fall as we get across the Great Lakes and even into parts of the eastern coast. Now you're looking at this big ridge developing out toward parts of the western part of the country. This is a good thing. We want to see that coming in. Things will be looking really good into that as we get into our next weekend, seeing a lot of these higher pressures, meaning the warm weather is going to be on its way pretty soon. But for right now, we're still seeing pretty chilly temperatures. Grand Island, Nebraska, high only 23 degrees, low of four, partly sunny over in Whitesboro, high just getting above freezing, low still pretty chilly, but in Belglade, Florida, high 65. National Pork Producers Council has concerns about new draft guidance from the FDA when it comes to certain antibiotics in animals. The concern is over the agency's draft guidance regarding the duration of use of certain antibiotics. Now, according to NPPC, the proposed guidance would, quote, deny the ability for a veterinarian to prescribe antimicrobials appropriately, burden pharmaceutical companies, and may jeopardize access to antibiotics, end quote. 
MPPC went on to say the draft guidance interferes with the vet's decision-making process by mandating a duration of use. Now, it said it may also lead to confusion about when a product can and cannot be used. FDA said as of last September, there were nearly 100 approved animal antimicrobials that didn't have a defined duration of use. But what about reducing the need for antibiotics in the swine industry in the first place? Researchers at Iowa State may be onto something. They're focusing their efforts on gene editing, especially when it comes to porcine respiratory and reproductive syndrome, or PERS. Researchers at the university recently looking into how much a PERS outbreak impacts antibiotic use on a pig farm. The study found antimicrobial use increased 379% in nursery pigs during the 15-week epidemic phase after a farm becomes PERS positive and 274% in older pigs closer to market weight. Now, working with Pig Improvement Company, researchers were able to use gene editing technology. They deleted a very small portion of the pig's DNA that encodes a protein that the virus uses to enter and infect the pig's cells. They say with this small gene edit, the pig is resistant to PERS. Now, the researchers are now working to secure approval in several pork-producing countries, including here in the U.S. Now, there's a lot that goes into keeping livestock healthy, including feeding them good quality feed. We'll hear from some experts in Tennessee with tips on testing hay for winter feed in the country. cold weather like this, Tennessee's cattle farmers no longer have green grass for their herds, so feeding hay becomes critical. And as Charles Denny reports, the University of Tennessee Extension works with producers to test their forage so that it meets animal nutritional requirements in these tough winter months. So you, you cut all this this past year? I cut it, rolled it, and did everything myself and put it in here. A stored supply reaching to the barn rafters, and good thing too. That's good. Cows love it. Anthony Scales had a good year with his herd and hay. You don't roll it and put it in the barn when it's green. You got to let it lay out for two or three days and let it dry. Constantly changing environmental factors, including moisture levels, influence the nutritional content of hay. And that's where UT Extension can help. <laughs> Agent Rebecca Norman has been at the Scales Farm in Rockvale several times, testing the hay with this probe that drills 24 to 36 inches inside each bale, collecting samples. So every cutting, every bale potentially could be different. And hay doesn't come with a label, like we might buy something in a grocery store, so it's important for us to test the hay and basically get our label back from the lab. When it comes to testing, you want the best representation of a hay supply. Things can vary from one bale to the next, and that's why it's important to take multiple samples. Past test results from the Scales barn have been positive. But if the hay was lacking, the farmer would know to supplement what's needed for full cattle bellies. Extension encourages producers to take the test. Because it's a, it's a wild card, we don't really know what the hay is worth. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, if we don't do that, we can end up with cattle losing weight, not knowing why. Testing is very helpful. Get your hay tested and make sure you know what to, uh, when to cut it, what uh, fertilizer you need. 
Bag samples go to the UT Institute of Agriculture in Knoxville. And with these tests, you can have the results in a week or two. Nutritious hay can be stored in the dry and fed for years. And if what's in the barn is good... Then you'll have fat cows all winter. <laughs> this is Charles Denny reporting. All right, thanks Charles. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure best tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Davis. Have a great day.